Give our uh, internet audience a good welcome. God bless you guys. So glad you are with us. Peace to your house. Amen. You may be seated. You had a good time already? Amen. Well, I'm just, I'm just so blessed and encouraged. That was all part of our next-gen team leading you tonight. And just wonderful. And uh, just free and pure, and I love it. And uh, I want to punch people that say, uh, all young people are going to hell in a handbasket. And it's like, you know, and I hear some of that stuff, stuff uh, sometimes. And then, um, well, they didn't sing my song. Well, you probably wouldn't sing their song. And, and, and it's not even about that. It's about us all coming together, multicultural, multigenerational, under the banner of Jesus, lifting him up and just a beautiful thing. And I just commend them on just a fabulous job. Could you give them another good God bless tonight? Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Uh, we're going to get in the word here in just a minute. Next Wednesday, everybody say next Wednesday. We're going to be launching something new on the first Wednesday of every month. We're calling it Habitation. It'll be a habitation service. Uh, how many of you know, and I, I, during prayer, I used this one verse out of the Psalms. He inhabits the praises of his people. Ephesians 2.22 talks about that we are become his habitation. And it's a dwelling place that God would dwell among his people. I'm so glad that he would do that. And uh, something we've had in our hearts for a good while and we believe it's time to kind of launch this. And I don't want you to come uh, with any kind of preconceived uh, what the service would be. I just want you to come expecting that we're going to take our time. Uh, service would be a, a little bit longer. It would be like an hour and a half service. We're going to extend worship. Uh, and we're, we're um, going to be just led. I already have some leading. We had a meeting yesterday. And just the, we could see the Lord leading us to do some certain uh, things just as far as prayer and, and what to share in the word. We're always going to share the word. And then um, we'll have a number of other things that be happening. But it'll be a time where we can just spread out just a little bit, take our time a little more in worship, uh, and how the Holy Spirit might would lead us to to pray or to speak out some things or whatever. We'll do that. And so it'll be good for us. Now look me in the eye, okay? Do not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, you've just been around some goofy people. Do you hear me? And some of y'all used to be goofy. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is our helper and our comforter. And, and um, you know, we, we just want to follow his leading um, all the time. We do that, trust me, all the time. How many know that he'll show you things to come? So how many of you know that, you know, I already know some, some message series and things months ahead that the Holy Spirit, as we're seeking him, is, is helping us to know so we can be, you know, prepared. He leads us. Thank God for the Holy Spirit leading us. Amen. All right. You ready to get in the word tonight? All right. We're in a year-long series. Actually, we just started our second year on it, and it's called Believe. Believe. We changed the color. Changed the color for 2015. And uh, what we're doing, uh, one way to look at it is we're going through what is called systematic theology, which is... What does the Bible teach on certain uh, topics and issues? And uh, it's going to get very interesting. I think it's already interesting. I love this stuff. But it's a systematic approach. It's not, it's not verse by verse. It's going through. And what does the Bible as a whole say about certain topics? And we spent all of last year on that. And all of that is archived and notes are available. And I encourage you to go back and, and uh, look through that. And then the way Scripture is, it builds line upon line, precept upon precept. And um, so... 
you know, there are things that we taught early last year that we can stand confidently on this year. And I would encourage you to go back and kind of review those things. Uh, last week, we had a night of uh, baptisms, a beautiful night. Uh, I actually took the night off. Uh, I, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. I was tired. <laughs> I was just tired. And we've got such an incredible team. And uh, you've got to know when to work and you've got to know when to play. And uh, just, to, just to step back a little bit. And so you have, you have to do that a little bit. The week before that, I started teaching on the gospel. And tonight I want to continue teaching on the gospel. And we'll probably spend a couple more weeks on that. Now, when you say gospel, you don't have to change your voice. Okay? The gospel. You don't, you don't have to do that. Um, uh, it is the good news. And uh, we're going to go ahead and kind of pick up where we uh, were two weeks ago. I'll review just a little bit. And uh, it is vital that we get this. Now, now, let me say this about the gospel, too. When the gospel is presented to you, you do one of two things. You accept it or you reject it. And tonight, if you have not yet accepted the gospel, I hope it's only because you've not heard it. And so I hope that you'll hear it clearly tonight. And then I'm going to give opportunity at the end of the service for you to accept the gospel. I pray that you'll not reject the gospel. I, uh, that's the only other option. Even to delay um, hardens your heart towards accepting. Be an inquiring mind. Be a hungry heart. You know, get, get answers to questions. Um, but it's important. This is absolutely so important. Now, you're here tonight and you say, well, I've accepted the gospel. I'm a believer, I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, um, and that is awesome. Um, that is the most awesome thing, but this is what I want to encourage you in. You need to know how to handle the gospel, though. You need to not just love the gospel, you need to know the gospel, and you need to be able to share the gospel. You know, I don't care who's in office or what's going on in the world and our country or other parts of the world, the Great Commission has not yet expired. Okay, and so we are still to share and uh, God will set up opportunity for you constantly um, in the last two weeks. And this is another way to share is to share your story, you know, share your story of how the gospel intersects with your life. And uh, a great way to get people to hear the gospel, because I promise you every service, the gospel is woven into what we do. And then we'll give opportunity uh, but invitational evangelism is the most effective form uh, to, um, you know, get people to hear and receive the gospel. So, you know, get them to church. That's why we give you the invest and invite cards to, to, to uh, get them to church. And relational is, is probably the best way because then people don't already have walls up and so forth. It's through you know them somehow and uh, you can share and invite them. The number one reason why people, anybody does anything is they were asked to. Studies show that 85% of people who do not, do not go to church do not go to church because no one asked them. Do you know why the others don't go to church? They've been to church. And we don't want to do church that way. We want to do church in a way that is just so life-giving. And, and uh, I just celebrate what God is doing. And the last two Sunday mornings, and I don't have the numbers on this. I know a week ago Sunday, uh, it was 55 or 60 people gave their lives to the Lord during the course of the morning. And we had about that this last Sunday morning as well. And I'm telling you, we will see in these days, and people say, are these the last days? Uh, whatever happens, there are last days. You know? 
and we've got to make we've got to make good on that and uh god is wanting to harvest a great harvest of souls thank you all three of you on that on that one okay all right all right the gospel everybody say the gospel the gospel is the single most important message of the bible is the single most important message of the bible let's look in romans chapter 1 verse 16 i like the new color it says for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god to salvation for everyone who believes now keep that up just for a moment i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ just thinking about this um some of y'all need to know this. Golf is my life. <laughs> it's not. I got cool golf stuff and all of that. And I go, I mean religiously, I go once a year. And my game just stays even. So I don't want to mess it up, you know. And uh, I feel like I'm getting extra credit. Remember in school you'd get 100 on something? That was like, and, and if you went over 100... Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. But I, I can remember like the first couple of times I went out golfing, and I'm real careful who I go with, you know. And uh, first couple of times I went out, and it was a swing and a miss. And I had practiced by myself, you know, and kind of had it. And then, you know, you're pulling your head up and doing weird things and not hitting. And so I was ashamed. I was ashamed. And then... I, I took a couple of lessons and a guy showed me how to really connect and keep my head down and some things to do. And uh, I may not get the highest score out there, but I will not miss the ball. And, and sometimes I'll go with guys who are going like every week, twice a week. And when I go in my yearly, you know, every other year outing, sometimes and I'm not bragging here or anything. I'll outdrive them on some holes. And so what happened is I got a few things together where I got a grip on this and I know how to do that. Now I make a mess all in between, okay? But I have fun. And I can't wait till after the ninth hole because you know what you get to do then? Lunch. <laughs> and after that, I get sleepy. And I just, I don't know why they do 18. But sometimes we're ashamed of the gospel of Christ because we don't know it. And we don't handle it right. And we just kind of take a little bit of what we heard or saw from somebody. And this is what this whole series is about, is believe. So that you know what you believe. You know why you believe it. You can articulate it. You can defend it. You could share it. And um, that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because he got such a handle on it, he knew this. It is the power of God to salvation. And get this. For everyone who believes, believes. There's some supernatural things about the gospel. And so I can't explain the resurrection. I can't explain the virgin birth. Those are supernatural. And, and, and we'll talk more about this around Easter time too. If the only God you can believe and trust and serve is a God you can figure out, that's a pitiful, puny God. I want a God who does things that's like, <laughs> I love having a God who I'm in a, I'm in a mess, I'm in a pickle, I'm in a situation. And in my mind, there's no way out of that. There's no way that can be fixed. And to have a God who nothing 
is impossible. Nothing is impossible to him. I love serving that God. And what triggers that is you believe him. You believe him. And I think you should tell him, I believe. And I think you should be in his word daily. How many of y'all ate today? Y'all are lying to me. Some of y'all are like, how many of you ate food? You ate food today. All right, let me go a little bit further. How many of you planning on getting a little more after, ten, after service tonight? All right, all right, come on. All right, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on, did you read God's word today? But see, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, so then faith, to be able to believe comes by what? Hearing, hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you saw in the Greek structure there, it's by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. You want faith that's alive, that believes God in the middle of everything else that's contradictory, get into his word and let his word energize your faith and your faith will be alive. Amen. All right. You ready to get into the message? (laughs) I like that part though. All right. We must understand the gospel. We must understand it or you're going to end up with either false hope or false guilt. And one of the things, or these are some of the things that I see in, in people because of whatever their tradition may have been as far as coming along in their religion, their Christianity, whatever, how they arrived at where they are today. It is so important. Uh, let me step aside just for a moment here. Do you know what the Apostle Paul's number one concern, I mean, he got heated about in writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Do you know what his number one concern was? Wrong or false doctrine. Because what you believe, doctrine, what's the first two letters of doctrine? Do. What you believe, you'll do. And so this is why we're spending two years, three years, we'll do whatever it takes. And every service to make sure that we're sound in doctrine. Because your doctrine, what you believe, governs your life. And so if you believe wrong, if you don't understand something properly, then you're either, because of the gospel, you're either going to have a false hope or you're going to have a false guilt. And so he didn't come to bring us false anything. He is true and he wants his people to be free. Amen? I, this is a big thought that's been on my heart and mind a lot lately. I know I've mentioned it a number of times. But historically, traditionally, what happens is one generation believes something. Everybody say believes. If that is not handled right by that generation, then the next generation will just assume it. They'll just remember it. That was, that was mom and dad's. Let's, let's take it to this. That was mom and dad's religion. And then if something doesn't change, if a revival doesn't come, if, something does, if someone does not deliver the power and reality of that truth to that generation, then that third generation will forget what that first generation had and even deny or reject it. And so we, that's one of the reasons why we're super focused on being multi-generational. This is not about us having a certain age group and we come in here and we're already convinced and we just amen each other and bless me club and cheer each other on, walk in and walk out. And, and you know what? What happens in here is super important, but I'll tell you what is uber important and that's what happens when you walk out those doors. 
I was driving, I pulled out of the, I dropped my son off at school this morning. I pulled out uh, the west entrance this morning and was headed back. And I was just looking at the church and I suddenly just burst in tears. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit stirring something in me. And I was just grateful in the moment too. But realizing that it's not what happens here. It's what happens as a result of here. And that's why we have to be equipped for the work of ministry. Amen? All right. So one generation believes it. The next generation just remembers it and assumes it. Yeah, whatever. And then that third generation, they forget it. They reject it. They deny it. And so we must, with everything in us, have it strong in us and live it in such a way that any generation that, that you are uh, responsible to influence, that they see that's real deal. That's right. Amen. Well, let me get on with, get on with this. We, we can go all over the place here tonight. Ultimately, the gospel is this. Jesus died for our sins and was raised for our justification. Um, the reality is all have sinned. Everybody say everybody. everybody. All have sinned. And the penalty for sin is death. And the good news is, and that's what gospel means, good news, is Jesus came and died in our place. And paid our penalty. There's an old song. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now. Charles Spurgeon. Summarized the gospel in four words. And I just love this. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. Go ahead and say it with me. Jesus died for me. Now I want you to. Get this, Jesus died for me because the subject we're going to look at tonight is what is called substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? Somebody did something for me. Substitute. Who did it? Jesus. What did he do? He died. What did that have to do? Well, because I, I should have. I should have. And here's the, here's the real deal breaker. Even if I died for my sins... I could not have paid the debt that my sins had. So it's just lost. So we were lost. That's why we say I once was lost, but now I'm what? I'm found. It's because Jesus died for my sins. Now, let's unfold this, unpack this a little bit more here tonight. The centerpiece of the gospel really is that substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. That's the centerpiece. Here's the other vital ingredients of the gospel, okay? And we'll just kind of string them together. Incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. Sinless life. Substitutionary death. Bodily burial. Literal resurrection. Ascension to heaven. Imminent return. And that's the story, okay? Incarnation. Sinless life, substitutionary death, bodily burial, literal resurrection, ascension to heaven, imminent return. Look at me. He will come again. He will come again. And all the mess you see on TV and all the arrogance and confusion and everything else. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Everybody, 
even those who did not accept him. And they will bow their knee, I believe, not because they're made to, but because they will see him. They just wasted it all. And see, I don't want anybody to waste it all. That's why our hearts have to break that this good news has to get to people. Can I get an amen from the church tonight? So we've got to make it clear. We've got to make it uh, not complex. We've got to make it understandable. But do not try to just make it easy to swallow. We cannot reduce the gospel. And that's one of the problems with the gospel, uh, with gospel presentation, is people will reduce it. Uh, If you reduce it, you miss and deny the point and the heart of it. And when you do that, listen, you lead others astray. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he said, if you preach, if, if I myself, an angel comes, anybody else preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. If you alter the gospel, part of that word accursed means, whoa, seriously, W-O-E, whoa to you. Don't mess with that. So we got to get it clear, get it plain, and be able to share it uh, with all of its power. Over the years, and I'm not talking about since the 60s, I'm talking about since the 300s, there has been liberal theology. And liberal theology is, is an enemy to the, to the truth of, gospel, of the gospel. It's a lot of it is based on reason. And that's one of the reasons why I took a moment a few, a few moments ago to talk about a God that we're not going to always be able to figure out and to explain. And so... Some forms of liberal theology will uh, battle to take away some of the key fundamentals that I went over. For example, um, incarnation. See, that doesn't make sense. Virgin birth, come on. You know, and so they will, they want to hold to godliness but deny the power of it. And Paul said the power comes from the truth of the gospel. And so they'll want to undo and take away incarnation. Well, that's not really what it meant, so to speak. Or try to take away the resurrection. Uh, Come on, people die, they're dead. They do not rise again, okay? Well, we're not talking about just anybody. Now, liberal theology will allow for this, that God loves us. Liberal theology will allow for this, that, okay, maybe, maybe Jesus was a man of God. And they will even allow for this, and don't miss this, They will even allow for this. And he might have died on a cross for us. But if you take away incarnation and you take away resurrection, then that was just a man who died on the cross. And just a man, there's no, that's no difference. Then I could have gone. And if Jesus has not died on the cross and raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins, 1 Corinthians tells us. And so that's why you can't have that. And then in the 1100s came the doctrine of moral influence. And the doctrine of moral influence allowed this, that um, Jesus died on a cross to demonstrate God's love for us. And he was some kind of, and, and that's true, but they, they deny substitutionary atonement. They just say that God's love being demonstrated in such a way as that Influence, that, that's where the title comes from, moral influence. It influenced people to repent. Well, it doesn't work that way. 
It doesn't work that way. We have to have some, we have to have some power. We have to have something to repent to on this. Let's look here in 1 Corinthians 15. And I need to get on a fast horse here. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. And this is Paul talking here. Which I preach to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. By which also you are saved. That's how you get saved, through the gospel. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain or believed wrong. For I delivered to you, first of all, that, that, uh, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Christ died for our sins. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so Paul's saying that's the gospel. That's the gospel. So we have to know those aspects of the gospel. Now, this is what I want to focus in on here is substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. I know it's big words, but go ahead and say it. Substitutionary atonement. Okay, so break this down. It's substitute. That means somebody did something or was in somebody's place. They took, took my place. Baseball game, we're going to put in a, a sub. Okay? You know, somebody twisted their ankle, we're going to need a sub. And so somebody's going to take their place, going to take their position, and on the roster, they're in. Okay? They take our place. Atonement, you can break down this way. At one meant. And it's a reconciliation. It's to put us back at one. And so... Jesus is our substitute who did something to put us back at one with God. You following? So, um, let's go through this real quick. The bad news is original sin. Okay? And that happened in the garden, the fall of man, and that was the first act of substitution. And what Adam did, and Adam is the one held responsible, and you'll see it in Scripture here in a moment. Okay? Um, And if you're reading along with us in the uh, Life Journal, you've You've read through this recently. You know, as, uh, the first part of that is going through, through Genesis. But um, Adam and Eve will include her in this. The first act of substitution was they had the will of God, they had the way of God, and they substituted what God wanted with their own way, their own will, their own reason. So that was the first act of substitution. The result of that was original sin. And so sin came in, and the, and the word was this. In the day that you eat of this tree, you will what? You'll die. Now, what do you mean die? You'll die spiritual death, separation from God. Remember, then they were put out of the garden. Uh, But Adam lived like another, what, 936 years, something like that. And I was talking with somebody about this the other evening, too. You know, how come people back then lived so long? And I think it's because originally we were not supposed to die. And it took a while for death to kind of set in, you know. And uh, over the years, we've gotten pretty good at it, you know. And uh, I believe that God wants to bless you with long life, though, okay? I'm not believing for 700. I don't want to see it all, <laughs> you know. But anyway, back to, our, back to the program here. Um, uh, in the day that you eat up, you'll die. What did Paul do? He echoed that in Romans 6, 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Is death. And so we know that already, that sin, the penalty for sin is death. So, so through Adam's disobedience... And it was disobedience. Death spread to all. Look at this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death came in through sin. So death spread to everyone for everyone has sinned. So because of his sin, open the door. Here it comes. That's the bad news. 
Here's the good news. Jesus came, and one of the references to Jesus in the New Testament is he is the second Adam. He's the second Adam. That's good news. And the second Adam took our place, substitution, so there's substitution, on the cross. It's the obedience of Jesus. It's the obedience of Jesus that removes the disobedience of Adam. Don't miss that. It's the obedience of Jesus, the second Adam, who removes the disobedience and the consequence of it of the first Adam. Look at this in Romans 5, verse 18 and 19. Isn't the Bible fun? Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Thanks. But, everybody say but. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Give an amen on that, would you? Now, follow this. I'm gonna, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read some of this here. Through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. Who are the many? Those who believe. You have to believe. Our guilt was transferred to Jesus and he was punished for our sins. Now listen to this. What Christ did on Mount Calvary is viewed in scripture as the opposite of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Thus our legal representative and substitute, Christ lived and died in our place. Don't miss miss this. In other words, what he did was credited to our account as if we did it. Are you seeing that? The language, and we don't have time to break it all down. Remember, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. There's so many accounting terms that that are laced throughout the language. Get this again. Um, What he did was credited to our account as if we did it. His life and death are substitutionary in the same way that Adam's life and death was substitutionary. And so Adam... Adam, being the first man, substitutionary and representative of all humankind, it was accredited to our account what he did as if we did it. And sin and death spread, and then, hey, we we were all in. Jesus came as the second Adam, was our substitute, paid off the penalty of sin, and then accredited our account as if we did it. So now we are accounted before God. He checks the books and we are righteous. What does righteous mean? We are in right standing with God. Not because of what we did. You know what you did. Come on, you know what you did. You know what you think. You know what your motives are sometimes. You know the stuff you've done. You know the stuff, here's what's scary, what we're capable of doing. We know our inconsistencies. So if we're counting on our own righteousness, that's why Isaiah said it's like filthy, dirty rags. The best one among us. What is it going to take? We got to have somebody else. Excuse my grammar. Ain't none of us going to make this happen. We've got to have somebody come in. We've got to have a substitute. And God in his love sent his son, his perfect son, incarnation, sinless life, substitutionary death, 
bodily burial, literal resurrection, ascension into heaven, and he's coming again. Amen. Amen. And what he did for us on the cross, what he did for us on the cross then is put into our account. Christ's atoning work provided the remedy to undo the consequences of Adam's fall, his sin, and his guilt. Let's read a few verses here real quick, and then I've got to get you going here. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, ours, substitutionary atonement. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Substitutionary atonement. Look at this in Romans chapter 4, 25. Oh, go back, go back to that other verse. I skipped a verse. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Watch this. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. All right, go ahead. Uh, Romans 4, 25. Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Go ahead to Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us. Think substitutionary now. His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. When? While we're still sinners. Go ahead to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. 1 Peter three eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Somebody say amen tonight. All right, get this. I'm going to do one other verse, and then I want to tell you something about something called Yom Kippur. More than just forgiveness of sin. Anybody glad about forgiveness of sin? And more than just the removal of guilt. Are you glad that, that he removed the guilt? And not just the guilt, he removed condemnation. So more than just forgiveness of sin, removal of guilt, removal of condemnation, he also placed righteousness into your account. There's not a mistake on your bill. Okay? He put that into your account. My wife uh, has links to, like, my, my grown kids. They have bank accounts and stuff. They've allowed her to do this. And she doesn't withdraw. But every now and then we want to bless them. Every now and then we want to help them out with something. And a lot of times we won't even tell them. We'll just do it and then they'll see it. And they find that in their account. And you know what it is to them? Good news. It's gospel. Y'all with me? All right. Yom Kippur, a high holy day um, in the Old Testament, day of atonement. And throughout the Old Testament, you've got to know the whole Bible's a narrative. You've got foreshadowing. You've got types. You've got symbols. And they would take a spotless, perfect animal, one, on Yom Kippur. And they would impart the sins of all onto the one. And it would be slain. And so, is that a forecast, a foreshadowing of anything? 
I mean, you just read it through. And, and if you're going through the life journey, you're going to see these things happening and, and be thinking New Testament. Be thinking, you know, it, it'll be pointing to something here. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Remember that? John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. Who what? Takes away the sins of the world. And so here's, here's the whole principle of substitutionary atonement. The innocent for the guilty. The innocent for the guilty. And the one for the many. The innocent for the guilty. And the one for the many. And listen, if you miss. And I wish I had another hour to teach tonight. but If you miss substitutionary atonement. You miss the gospel. You have to have it all. You have to know incarnation. You have to know resurrection. But if you miss that in the middle. That he took our place. As Spurgeon said, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. Say it. Jesus died for me. And when he died for me, he didn't just bring me forgiveness. He didn't just take guilt and condemnation away. He put into my account that God sees I'm righteous. I I missed this one verse, but 2 Corinthians 5.21. Terry, if we can go back to that. For God made Christ who never sinned. There is spotless, spotless animal sacrifice who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through our good looks, through perfect church attendance, through doing the life journal every day. How? Through Christ, through what he did, substitutionary atonement. Amen? Did you get anything at all out of this tonight?